Good morning. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Some of you may still be celebrating. We're certainly thankful to God, first of all, for his amazing grace, for his incredible gift to mankind, a savior who never sinned, offered of himself as a ransom. Good to see each and every one of you here. God is a spirit. I don't think we need to be reminded of that. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's a lot of preaching being done today and all kinds of spirit, but we need to be sure that we hear God who is a spirit speaking to our spirits. Faith comes by hearing and it comes by hearing the word of God. Therefore, the most important thing we can do this morning is actually hear the word. My job and my task is to preach the word. I'm just trying to preach a living God to a dying world. I want to hide myself behind the cross and hopefully you'll hear God's spirit speaking to you. Proverbs 9 and verse 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Proverbs 1 and verse 5 says, A wise man will hear and will increase in learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. Proverbs 6.23, for the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light, and reproofs of instructions are the way of life. And that's good for us to know because we all fall short somewhere. We're going to have to be reproved. We're going to have to receive instructions. We may even have to be corrected as we live this Christian life. We begin in a new series this morning. The good news. The good news. Open your Bibles with me, please, to Mark chapter 13, the verses are 24 to 27. And then we're going to get into the word of God and hopefully be blessed. The Bible reads, beginning with verse 24. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. And they will, be, they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then uh, he will send forth the angels 
and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say unto you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let's go to God in prayer. Gracious God, our Father in heaven, we come before your throne this morning, Father God, as humble as we know how. We feel your presence, and we know you have a word for us. As we live for you, Father God, we ask that you give us the courage and the boldness not to be ashamed of the gospel, for we know and believe that it is the power of God to salvation unto all who believe. Calm my mind, calm my spirit, and calm all of us down and help us to receive the engrafted word of God which is able to save our souls. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for a chance to live for him, to be reconciled back to the glorious God that we serve. Forgive us for our sins, Father. We fall short many times, many ways. Living this life is a struggle and we get distracted so many times. But hold our minds here today and help us to receive your word. We ask all this and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. If we hear the words, I'm coming for you, that doesn't always mean something bad. When it comes to Jesus Christ, when he says, I'm coming for you, it's not only good, but the next best thing to the cross is the greatest event in the history of the world. The return of King Jesus is not merely the third movie in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It is what Jesus Christ has promised to do. He is coming back for us. As I preach this message from the Gospel of Mark, may we all celebrate the return of Christ. I'll be speaking on the second coming of Jesus Christ, the return of our glorious King. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth his angels. And he will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. In these verses we see three declarations about the Lord's return. Number one, it will be in the midst of chaos. I believe we're living in a world that is filled with chaos today. It will be in the power, in his power, and in glory. 
and it will be to receive his own. He promised that he would come back for us. But before we open up the truth found in chapter 13 of Mark, let me share some light. Let me shed some light on this glorious event. Do you remember the big events, any big events in history? No one here remembers the stock market crash in 1929. We weren't here. A few of us might remember the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941. That resulted in America's getting involved in World War II. Do you remember the Kennedy assassination on November 22, 1963? Or the moon landing on July 20, 1969? Or Mount Helens exploding on May 18, 1980? Do you remember the Challenger disaster on January 28, 1986? Or the terrorist attack on the Twin Towers, December 11, 2001. People remember all big events, events so big that people recall clearly where they were when they happened. But all of those events pale in comparison to the biggest event, an unforgettable event, the awesome return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? What's the reason? What reason does God give us in his word for Jesus' second coming? Number one, he must return because God has promised that he would return. The promises of God require that Jesus Christ return. From the first book to the last book of the Old Testament, God's word promised that Jesus Christ would return. Now, if I get too loud, y'all just calm down. Turn the volume down because I have a lot of lift in my voice. I don't know why God did that, but that's what he gave. He gave me lift. And Peter lifted up his voice on the day of Pentecost, enough for 3,000 to hear him. So if I get a little excited and there's some lift in my voice, I'm not angry, I'm rejoicing, I'm happy, and most of all, I'm trying to proclaim the word of God so that everyone can hear it because faith comes by hearing. In the Old Testament, there are around 333 promises of Christ's coming. More than 100 were filled at the first coming specifically and literally, leaving over 200 promises yet to be fulfilled literally at Christ's second coming. Just one of the scriptures that attests to this is Zechariah chapter 14, verses 5 uh, and verse 9. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day the Lord will be the only one, and his name the only one. Got a lot of names out there now, but his name will be the only one on that day. Don't you love that? He's the only one. God's word repeatedly promises that he will return. The second 
reason he has to return is because the teaching of Christ that came from his own lips requires that he returns. Christ's own words makes it clear that he will return. In fact, if Jesus doesn't return, then he is not God. John 14, verses 2 and 3. Jesus says, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. The Lord repeatedly taught that he literally, physically, would return to this earth. Another reason Christ must return to this earth the bride of Christ that he's preparing, that's us, requires that he comes back for his bride. Revelations 19, verses 6 through 8, the Bible reads, Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint. The Bible declares the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible declares it. The New Testament marriages were arranged by parents and dowries were paid just like Christ paid the price for his bride. The groom even took up to a year to prepare for his bride. just like Christ is preparing us right now. Then the groom returns with his friends to take his bride to himself, just as Christ will do for his bride. The true picture of the church as the bride of Christ requires the return of Jesus Christ to receive his bride. The world's sin sickness requires that Christ return. Our sins our sins, those old ugly sins, they created the need for Christ to return. Christ must return to judge this world. There is too much sin in this world, and even as Christians, we get so caught up sometimes when we take our eyes off of Jesus. Too much sin in the world, too much injustice in the world, too much rebellion, even in our own nation that is so blessed, we still rebel against God. Too much perversion, too much defiance, and too much wickedness for Christ not to come back and judge this world. Are you listening, church? The last word I'm going to say at the end of this lesson is, wake up. Listen to these sober words in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flame and fire, taking vengeance on those that know not God. There are some people who will not know God when Jesus returns, and it's not going to be a good day for them. And those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people don't even know what the gospel is. How can you obey it if you don't know what it is? Somebody has to teach the gospel. 
Some people think the gospel is the whole Bible. The gospel is not the whole Bible. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, you find out what the gospel is. It is the truth about Christ dying, being buried, and rising again for our sins. He didn't have any. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marvel among all who have believed. I want to be standing there believing when he returns. Sin must be judged. If you are in Christ, your sin has already been judged at the cross. He gave you his righteousness. So you can go to heaven only because of Christ's perfect life that he lived. So you can go to heaven only because of his perfection. But if you are not in Christ, then your sin must be judged and judgment will fall upon you. You have no substitute. You have no imputed righteousness. You can't stand in God's presence if you don't obey the gospel before Christ returns, you will stand before him doomed on that day. That's fire and brimstone preaching, huh? You know, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Some fire and brimstone preaching. I believe the church is getting too comfortable in these days. We just go through the motions. We come like uh, we're going to hear a nice little story and our life is all right. No change needs to be made. Somebody in here needs to make some changes in their life. And the sad part is you know it. And God knows it. I don't want to stand before God just like I am today. I'm commanded to continue to grow, to continue to yield to him, to let him mold me and make me and shape me and remake me. And I still won't be done when I stand before him, but he will tell me then, well done. And everything will be all right after that. Sin must be judged. The need of judgment for sin requires that Christ return. Why else? Why else would he return? The promises made to Israel requires that Christ return. God promised his people Israel he would come back to be their king. In Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 the Bible says, in the days of those kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed and that kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms but it, it will itself stand forever. Israel was promised a king and a kingdom. Their king came, but they rejected him. However, during the tribulation, Israel will realize how horrible their sin was before God. They will realize what they did. Like Zechariah 12 and verse 10 describes, they will look on me uh, whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In the future, Israel will finally acknowledge Christ as their Messiah, the one they missed and misunderstood, and they will deeply grieve and repent in their hearts for how they treated Christ as they turned to him for salvation. Today, Israel is still hardened. 
Their hearts are still hardened to Christ, but one day their hearts will be tender towards him. That day is coming. Paul proves it in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. He says, a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and all, and so all Israel will be saved. He even said on one occasion, all Israel is not Israel. <laughs> Talking about some Gentiles that are now coming in. God repeatedly promised Israel a king and a kingdom. They will come to see that it was Christ. Another reason Christ has to return is the work of Satan requires that Jesus comes back to finish this battle between good and evil. Christ must vanquish the devil. Through Satan, though Satan is all, already a defeated foe, he still exercises a kind of dominion over this world. He's even called the ruler of this world three times in the Gospel of John. So Christ must return in order to reestablish his righteous rule over this earth and to do away with the unrighteous usurper, that old devil who's trying to usurp God's authority. Christ must vanquish that old devil. We ought to cheer when we read Revelations 20 verses 1 through, uh, to 3, which tells us, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the keys to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who uh, is the devil, Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. Christ will return to finish destroying the devil and his works. Another reason Christ must return. Our God does not give false hope. He knows what we are waiting for. He knows the longing of our hearts. And it is only his return which fulfills our deepest longings that are in our heart. We long for peace. I do. We long for righteousness. I do. We long for fairness. I do. We long for love, that love we just sang about. We long for that kind of love. Every true Christian longs for the righteous judge and what he will award to them on that day. But the Bible says, not only to me, but also unto all them that love his appearing. First Peter 2, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. We long for God's love. We long for the Lord's return. Our hope for our future is all based in his promise to return. How will he return? How does the Bible describe the return of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ will return personally, literally, visibly, suddenly, dramatically, gloriously, and most of all, triumphantly. The angels at Christ's 
Ascension in Acts chapter 1 verse 11 said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Jesus is not returning symbolically or mystically, nor is Christ coming back incognito or secretly. No one saved or lost will be questioning who this is when he comes back. They ought to scare us. An old preacher told me, Richard, one day, all the money in the world would just be blowing in the wind. And nobody's going to stop to pick it up. Talking about that day. We'll know what's important to all of us on that day. Not one person will wonder or misunderstand or make Christ into someone else. Everyone will know for certain. Revelations 1 verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. No one, no one will know the exact time of his coming. Revelations 3 and verse 3 makes it clear. I will come like a thief in the night. You and you will not know at what hour I will come. He could come before this service is over. Are you ready to go just like you are right now? No more changes need to be made? Are you as loving as you ought to be? Are you the example you ought to be? Are we wearing a mask and nobody really knows who we are? Are we open before God, stripped before him, and whatever he points at in our life and tells us to get busy fixing it, are we willing to do it? Or are we going to put it off? like we have a little more time. God does not give false hope. But when it happens, it will be dramatic and glorious. Matthew 24, verse 29 and following, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Some people only come to worship on the sunshiny days. But the Bible says he's coming with clouds and they got some clouds out there today. This is a good day to be in here. Rain clouds. Make no mistake, Christ will return as the king King of kings and Lord of lords riding on a white stallion. He's coming back to conquer, and there will be no contest. The second coming is so spectacular. It is so difficult to even imagine. Nothing in the world that we have ever seen has come close to what's going to happen, to what's going to take place on that day. But we can be assured it will happen exactly the way the Lord has said it will happen. Ooh, you never have enough time. We're ready to leave right now, and I'm just getting started. Mark 13, verses 28 through 31. Jesus went from that parable taken from nature to give us an application to the times when certain things would begin to happen. In verse 29, 
He goes on to say, so you, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. What is it that is near? What is the these things that he said we might see happening? I believe that they are the things that he has mentioned in verses 14 through 27 that characterize the end of this present age. First, there would be abomination of desolation. That was spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Then would be the need for God's people to quickly flee for their lives to the mountains because the whole ungodly world system will have turned murderously against all believers. Then would come times of tribulation so great that Jesus said, unless the Lord has shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. And then would be false prophets and false Christ arising and performing signs and wonders to deceive the people of this world. And then Jesus said, but in those days after the tribulation, God is going to shake up things. I believe that these incidents are the, these things that Jesus is saying would happen. And he said that when these things are seen to begin happening, we are to know that it is near, so close it is at the door. What is the it? I believe we get a far clearer understanding from Luke's gospel about what is the it that Jesus is referring to. In Luke 21:19, Jesus is quoted as saying, it is the kingdom of God that was near. I believe that Jesus is telling us that when we see these things beginning to take place, when we see the branch of God's prophetic promises through Israel be, uh, begin to become tender, Israel's heart is going to soften. And when these things begin to, we begin to see the leaves of these prophetic events beginning to sprout and the promised signs beginning to take shape and converge, then we are to know that God, that, that the coming of our Lord Jesus for his kingdom to reign in his kingdom, he's reigning now, but he's going to set up, finish it off finally, and the new heaven and the new earth will be established. It's going to be just around the corner when we see these signs. It's very, very close. That's the parable of the fig tree. And so as we think about the Lord's teaching uh, to us concerning the end times, let's remember what he tells us in that passage. Learn from the fig tree. There are signs that will identify that he is very close. All of the trouble that we're having in this world right now, all been spoken of in the Bible, all through the Old Testament. And even in the day that we're living, heaven and earth will pass away, he said, but my word will not pass away. We better believe what he's telling us in this parable. Let's be very sure that we learn the lesson from the fig tree and not lose hope. And then I told you earlier, the last word I'm going to say to you today is watch, listen, or wake up. Before I read it to you, Mark chapter 13, before I read it, I ask you to consider a question. If you knew in advance that the Lord Jesus was coming to return to this earth 12 hours from now, that means tomorrow morning at this very same time that we're sitting here, the Lord will return. If you knew that for certain, what would you do? We know, of course, that he is coming, but no matter how much 
of a devoted and faithful student of the Bible and prophecy we may be, we still tend to think for all practical purposes as something, it is something that will happen and we don't know what time it will happen in the future. But what would you do if you really knew without a shadow of a doubt that he would come back to this earth before this very day was over? What if, I t if we knew he was coming back today at 11 o'clock? when we always leave. Would we be in a hurry to leave? Oh, y'all not listening. I can tell y'all not listening. Would we be in a hurry to depart from this place? Would you panic? Would you rejoice? I hope you stay here until the end of worship service at least. But would you then return home to get some things in order? We got to get some things in our life in order before he returns. Would you need to make some phone calls in order to make some things right with certain people? Would, you, would there be some purchases that you were planning to make that you would not make now? Would there be some things that you were planning to watch on TV as soon as you got home, but you would not watch it today? Would there be some things that you were planning to read that you would not read now? Or perhaps read some things that you were planning to neglect? Would there be some ways of talking about certain people that you would need to repent of? Would there be some duties to perform that you had been ignoring? Would there be some prayers to pray that you, you had been disregarding? Would there even be a broken relationship with the Lord, our God, that you would immediately repent of? Or perhaps even a relationship by faith with him you would need to enter into for the first time today? I think it's very interesting, this question. And I imagine that in answering it sincerely, each one of us would feel that there are some things that we would do very differently, perhaps very quickly if we knew he was coming right this moment. Well, we know for certain on the basis of his promise that he is indeed returning. But that's the only thing we can know. We can know, we cannot know when that time will be. Mark 13, verse 32 to 37. I'm coming, I'm coming down. I'm not going to hold you any longer. I'm not in a hurry to leave, but I... I have to bring this lesson to a close. We find these words of our Lord Jesus in his Olivet Discourse. Words that as we can see were meant not only for his hearers long ago, but also for us today. Words that he means for us to put into obedient practice. He said, but of that day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray that you do not, for you do not know when that time is. It is like a man going into a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning least coming suddenly he finds you sleeping 
What I say to you, I say to all, watch. The main command of Jesus' words here is summed up in the English word, watch. It shows up four times. It shows up four times Once in verse 33, it shows up in the form of a Greek word that basically means to keep awake. And the remaining three times in verse 34, 35, and 37, it shows up in a Greek word, gregario, which means to be watchful, to keep watch. It's also expressed in the Lord's command to take heed. And in some translations, it's, in, it's translated to pray in that spirit with alertness. Put them together and we find that in light of his return, the Lord commands us to keep on the alert, to keep awake, to keep praying, and to keep watching in light of his promised return. So that's what we are to do, and that's the practical result of good end-time teaching, and I hope that's what I did today. We are to actively watch for our Lord's return, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a home you've never been to yet. You belong there as citizens. Keep focusing on the things above in all that you think, say, and do. Set your mind on things above and not things on this earth. Pray more about heaven. Think more about heaven. Talk more about heaven. As you do, the grip and struggle of this world will loosen. Exchange all that you are for all that he is. Surrender to Christ. Become the man. Uh, uh, surrender to Christ who became a man and died for the sins. Our sins and rose from the dead and is coming again as king. Stop delaying and ask Christ to open your hearts this morning, right now, and don't miss the obvious. There had to be a tribulation before Christ returned to continue to rule. There is always judgment before blessing. And for some, there will be no blessing, no heaven, no better place, no eternal joy, unless your sin has been judged first by Christ at the cross. You must meet him at the cross. You must be baptized into his death. That's the only way to join him in his resurrection. You must give your life to Jesus Christ, surrender now, or be rejected when he returns to judge this world. He's coming back for you. He's coming back for me. He's coming back for his own. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. I don't know where you are, and I don't know if your spirit received the word of God, which is spirit, and went to your ear this morning. But if you're here and you haven't obeyed the gospel, you need to hear that Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again for your sins. You need to believe that with all your heart. The Bible says faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to hear it. You need to believe it. Hebrews 11 and 6 says without faith it's impossible to please God. You can do everything you want in this world and it might all be good. But if you don't believe enough to obey, it's useless. You have to believe what you're hearing about Christ dying for you. After you hear and believe, you must be willing to repent. You must be willing to turn from everything that you know is wrong. And the only way you know it's wrong is when you start reading this Bible to tell you what's right. 
You have to read this Bible. You have to hear this word. You have to repent. You, have to, you left God for some reason. You, you got to turn around and come back to him now. And after you repent, you need to confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. If you want him to save you, you have to allow him to be your Lord. You have to be willing to listen to him, to follow his instructions, to live for him even though you're laughed at in this wicked world for living a Christian life. You need to repent. You need to confess. And then you need to be baptized. Baptized into his debt where you reach his blood that wash away your sins. A new life begins, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I don't want any of my old life to be brought up. Some people might still be talking about it. They'll face God for that. God has forgiven me, and he wants to forgive you.